there's the one world of the fanboys. I mean, I think I kind of went through this and I don't know how up to date you are on Obi-Wan, a topic we'll touch on all, you know, collectively at some <laughs> point. But, you know, I think this is kind of what was going on with Obi-Wan. And I'm not sure. I'm sure Obi-Wan wasn't the talk of the, the base when you were gone, but I swear to God, um, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Well, what is that? Not, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to talk about what happened necessarily or and much, but I guess just the hype. And it's just like something like seeing the hype for Obi-Wan and like separating the fanboyism from the normal discussion, uh, see, uh, being underwhelmed. I don't know. It's just like uh, maybe I just need to hop on your boat then. I just need to with, be one of those people that doesn't watch the trailers with or that. Doesn't read. <laughs> I mean, with 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 Obi Wan, and I'm gonna make this as succinct as possible. Um, you've had, I think, everyone at this point has had a good fifty rough odd years in the year 2022. Looking back, fifty, forty ish, fifty years of being there when the movies first came out, the literature that came out, the merchandise merchandising that came merchandising. out. Uh, the spin-offs, oh, the, the, spin the extended universes, the video games, uh, uh, the literature again, because it, it's a, definitely a snowball when you have new media being released to catch up on the lore of who Obi-Wan, quotation marks, Ben Kenobi is as an individual. So, I mean, it's been in talks for God knows how long, a year, two, maybe, maybe more about Obi-Wan having his own series. And now that it's finally out, people being like, oh, well, it's not what I it's not what I envisioned. You know, it's like, have you have you read an extended universe piece of literature? Like. There was one line in one of the episodes where he basically was like, oh, man, I haven't. I haven't seen her her face in so long and and this that and that and I'm thinking oh okay was she talking about was he talking about Padme or his actual dead wife the Mandalorian queen you know or Mary like, oh but well I mean they they, they had a hinted prior right. thing so my point is that sure you can extrapolate and and hypothesize and and be like oh, wow, like, oh, this could happen. And it's like, you could just go however many years odd back and and realize that it actually did happen. Mm -hmm. So when I say that the information's, like, always been there, if you want to get, like, roped into a fandom like Star Wars, you have lengthy oh, yeah. <laughs> avenues to pursue. Oh, yeah. And... At that point, it's really up to your level of willingness to be involved. It's your level of involvement in it. You know, I think that there's the casual fans, there's the diehard fans, there's the, um, uh, what is it, the 501st people who are actually, they take out a second mortgage and dress up and, and go to Comic-Cons and things like that, you know. It, and they even had direct involvement in the show. Live your life, by all means. It it's no skin off my back. And I think if you can look at that and sort of appreciate the levels of involvement that, that people go to the lengths to appreciate a franchise like that. Sure. Mm. It's not me though. 
to end my point, it's not to say that I think the series is bad. I I look at it as another piece of Star Wars media, the same I did with Book of Boba Fett. So, uh, yeah, I'm not one to get into a tiff about it because I'm also willing to accept the fact that I'm I'm probably not this this series' target audience anymore. Hmm. Interesting. We're we're growing up, and I'm not I'm not going to say that you know oh let people enjoy things, Seb. No, it, it's the fact that younger individuals, kids, are getting into this series now. You know, it's not the series that we knew when we were you know obviously born in the 1970s because we weren't born in the 1970s. Obviously, you know, we viewed them as how we viewed them in late 90s early 2000s when we had a slew of six movies to chew through Mm -hmm. okay so we're obviously going to look at it differently than someone who was born in 2000 in the 2000s versus someone who was born in the late 90s versus someone who was born in the 80s and born in the 70s watching these movies for the first time so yeah hit me up for that star wars episode part two of mars on life i'm just kidding i can't i can't do it actually wars. i can't <laughs> actually it's probably gonna be more like a part three and then that'll be it um yeah. at this point we've done we, we, we've done two parts uh and and believe me i i definitely want to dive into that that very subject of who is a show like this for um next week when we talk with matt just because i i certainly i have a lot of thoughts um, Me personally, I can separate myself from the show. I can say with certainty and confidence that um, while I can still look at it and still like its uh, its filmmaking attributes and its uh, general sense of direction, I can say with confidence that it's not a show for me and i don't really think it Mm. was intended because i'm not a diehard star wars fan at least i'm not diehard to the point of some where i can you know name what every single rock in the in the asteroid belt that they go through (laughs) in episode eight you know like no i i don't have that level of involvement but i at least know enough about extended universe and the lore of obi-wan to appreciate it but at the end of the day that's what that's where me as a viewer stops. And when mm-hmm. the episode ends and when the show ends, it's time to move on to something else because I have no say in the general direction, filmmaking, storyboarding, anything. You know, I, I, I am not a contributor in this series. I have no say. So when I see a lot of people, you know, uh, complaining about it, thinking oh well it's you know it's it's not what it could be it's not what it should have been oh, i always geez. sort of ask the question i always sort of ask the question of okay well you didn't have any direct involvement in the film and yeah the internet's a big place but it's also a big place for your opinion not to be taken into consideration of so i can't really see disney listening to their audience as much as it probably should but mm-hmm. um their it's their franchise essentially you know star wars talk the way i see it it, it's it's one more go and that's it because all all i have to say just for right this moment is if they're going to get somebody to write a star wars show 
and this is just based on reporting I've seen. I can neither I, I, I cannot confirm nor deny this, but if you're going to hire somebody who's writing a Star Wars show about some pretty crucial legacy characters, maybe make sure they've at least seen some of the crucial movies this show is tied to before they write a script and a story. Hello there. What now, Lego Star Wars? We just did your thing. Uh, you mean we weren't be? doing Blink-182? <laughs> Lego Star Wars has only ever been good whenever you turn the mumble mode on. That's it. Okay. I, I wasn't too keen on the whole like adding voice to to Lego Star Wars. Not only that, I'm I'm not the target demographic for it anymore. I don't think at least. So, like, why should I care? But mm. um, oh man, Star Wars again. Deja vu for like a third time. I I feel like we've gone down this road before. Well, for you, it'll it's the third time. Uh, for the overall show, it's I think the fourth time now. Yeah. Uh, welcome, listeners to episode 119 of Mars on Life. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Ryan Mancini, and I am joined with me for the first time together, my dear, dear friends, Sebastian Shug and Matt Fernandez. Gentlemen. Hello there. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> it's a delight to finally have you two on the show together. I'm thrilled to not only just record this with the two of you, but also just the prospect that the three of us could actually go out and do things now. It's, it's going to be wonderful. It, it's going to be, it's going to be great. I think so. No, definitely. I'll, I'll get my, my short disclaimer out of the way. I feel like I should just do this um, for every single piece of media I make going forward. But uh, uh, in case you want to wear my uh, thoughts and opinions expressed in this episode are not emblematic of the U S air force. These are all my own. With that being said, did y'all catch that sex scene at the end of Obi-Wan? Because I got to tell you, man, like it was you just got to get past the boring stuff. Um, but it's it's like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know a hut could be that flexible. Dude, like <laughs> I was starting to think, you know, Disney, you know, you might want to try expanding your audience a little bit. And I got to say, man, they did it. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. I mean, just when I thought they couldn't get better, they sh really showed you what those Twi'leks antenna things are for. And who would have thought oh, that's man. how Salacious Crumb got his last name? <laughs> <laughs> the Force works in mysterious <laughs> ways, my friend. Before before we get into what's going to be probably a very exhaustive episode for two-thirds, if not more than likely all three of us, um, quick little announcement I actually would like to make. By the time listeners are listening, uh -huh, who'd have thought, to this episode, I've touched on this before. I, I know I've mentioned it multiple times as, as just in passing without really talking about it in any type of detail whatsoever. Um, but I now have officially a website. Uh, and it's my personal portfolio yes. showcasing my journalism work as well as my podcasting work. I encourage everybody to please go check it out. I'll have a link in the description for it in this episode. 
the website, simply put, is ryanmancini.work. Pretty easy to remember. And uh, yeah, you know, anybody wants to reach out to me, have any, anybody has any job recommendations or story tips, uh, just shoot me an email. There's a contact page. And uh, hell, there's a whole page on there about Mars on Life. Uh, and as the website will tell you, uh, website coming soon. So that'll be wow. a new project for all of us to be working on down the road. So, um, mm. yeah, uh, and I'll, obviously I'll, I'll send it off to you guys and we'll, we'll poke fun at me uh, probably during next week's show. We'll get Andrew in on it, too. Um, so because <laughs> another thing, too, I should note, listeners, uh, one other important announcement, which, Matt, I don't think I've mentioned this to you yet. Um, now with Sebastian back and to make sure we get everybody in on every episode uh, as best we can, Episodes will continue to come out on Wednesdays, so, you know, for as long as anybody's available uh, on the days that we record now, which is Sunday, you're going to get the whole gang for uh, Mars on Life, and maybe more. Ooh, there could be a fifth Beetle down the road. Ooh. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, like that worked out. <laughs> hey, it worked for uh, Eddie Murphy in that one SNL skit where he's like, yeah, I was the fifth Beetle. I don't know how to transition into Obi-Wan Kenobi from that, but <laughs> noted. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm not really sure what angle you'd want to tackle this from other than, you know, how it is as a show versus audience reception or how it ties into the overall Star Wars universe, which I can kind of render that, that point null and void uh, as far as Disney copyright law is concerned. I, I guess it's canon. Uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not some. It's not some Star Wars. Uh, Rogue Squadron or uh, any other extended universe lore. What's the what's the one that everyone compares it to? I, I had it on the tip of my tongue. Um, they think that Obi-Wan, this new Obi-Wan series is so similar to. Uh, the name is escaping me for some reason. Um, I, I, you please don't leave out this bumbling in, in editing, but uh, with Cal I'm trying to... oh my god, yeah. oh, uh, Fallen Order, <laughs> Fallen yeah, Fallen Order, Jesus. I was wondering where you were going with that, and honestly, that yeah, because everyone, everyone kind of just made the, the general connection with uh, oh, Inquisitors, we haven't seen that since the comics. When's the last time we ever saw an Inquisitor? Oh, these these last couple times playing Fallen Order. And uh, I'm not sure if it's like the sea lazy thing to do, because I know that they aren't running out of ideas. God, no, with the amount mm. of extended universe literature. Well, <laughs> no, they, mm. it can't be. <laughs> I, I believe me, that's that that's part of my big critique of this is is the running out of ideas thing. But you're right. Like they, they did. There is a lot in this series that is straight out of Fallen Order straight out of rebels to the point of blatant recreation and also not only blatant nods to the films even blatant homages and recreations of stuff from the disney films mm. i was gonna say i'm not sure if you mean like blatant and like a negative connotation because similar to how they did it with rogue one they had to find a way to, to sandwich it in between two movies, right? Right. So this is 10 years after episode three, right? About? Correct. 
Yes. How do they fill that time between Ewan McGregor and Alec Guinness? Right. This is how they do. Yeah. And I'm not sure if if they were obviously they had to come up with a little bit of a story, but I, I don't really I thought Obi-Wan was gonna be more so uh different stories per episode, like Mandalorian, but it's just one continuous story of of a young Leia getting captured over and over, and that's where one of the dominoes falls in regards to the critiques of this series. I don't know, did, did any of you think it was boring? That the yeah. acting was subpar, or you do? Okay. It's like, I, I expected so much out of it, and I don't know why. I think I expected so much because the fan expectation was so high, and I do really like what they're doing with uh, The Mandalorian. I really enjoy that show. But, like, I don't know. I think, with uh, as I've expressed before, there's no stakes in this show whatsoever. And it kind of felt like they just assumed everyone would watch the show, and they just assumed that IGN and GameSpot and whatever would give it positive reviews. And, like, it's my complaint with the Marvel and Disney version, or Marvel and Star Wars versions produced by Disney. It's just money at this point in time. There's no stakes in anything. They're never going to kill anybody important off because you can make money out of them, which, I mean, I kind of, they kind of killed off Scarlet Witch for now. We'll see. Spoilers for Multiverse of Madness, but it's been out for a little bit. Um, you can cut that part out, Ryan, if you need to censor it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh... I, I mean, they also got to figure out a way how they fit into it, how it fits into the continuity. So obviously True. they're yeah. not going to kill anyone who isn't yeah. disposable. Yeah. Right. And it's like, they're not going to injure Obi-Wan. They're not going to do anything catastrophic to him because we know he's perfectly fine. Just kind of aged terribly by the time that episode four starts. And it's like, don't give Obi-Wan point, an eye patch. <laughs> at this point, it's just like, <laughs> if, if you're an established character in the Disney world of things, like you're fine. They don't really have to put any effort because they're just going to keep cranking out your content until you don't make money anymore, which is why, like, at least for this point, I'm enjoying the Miss Marvel show more than I've enjoyed pretty much anything except um, Mandalorian so far because she's new, because they have to make you care about it. They have to establish something. And yes, they're differentiating from the comics, but it honestly, just with the way that it's being created and the amount of effort and culture and style, and I feel like love that they put into the show, at least the, the creators have, like, it feels more authentic than anything Disney's created in the past 10 years. Mm. Like, it's not getting the greatest reviews, it's not getting the greatest, like, <clears throat> viewership, but I think it is being critically slept on just because fanboys want to see Obi-Wan over the brown girl, which, if you know anything about <laughs> internet culture <laughs> and comic book culture... You make yeah. someone brown, you make them gay, then you've destroyed the universe. Mm. On that very point, too, that's been... And I'll just get this out of the way as well. You know, the the whole issue with the character of Reva, it's one of those factors of Star Wars over the last several years, predominantly since The Last Jedi, that I've just gotten sick to death of, where you have a character who's a person of color, they're important to the story, but their writing may not be super great and it winds up turning into this big internet hate mob 
it, it, yeah, people will say, oh, they're not the majority of Star Wars fans. They may not be, but they're some of the loudest voices in the room, and they're part of the reason why I just why I want to disassociate from this property because it it it's taken away from a lot of the fun that I've had in the past in talking about Star Wars. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin genuinely is the writing. And in the character of Reva, you know, this will be a nitpick I'll probably mention down the road in my lightning round of critiques for this show. She was a character that kind of had a okay arc that didn't need to go beyond episode five. Not to mention the fact that uh, Darth Vader has a history of killing people who know his true identity, and he just kind of leaves her there. This also kind of dovetails, this dovetails into answering your question, Sebastian, about, you know, what did we think, you know, did we think it was boring? My big issue right now with any Star Wars media that tries to touch on, like, the Skywalker family, the Skywalker saga, whatever, is that it is so beyond creatively bankrupt, and it's been that way for a long time, I think. I, it's to a point where I just don't care anymore about the Skywalker story. With Obi-Wan, they had all the right ingredients, but they just didn't cook well in terms of this show. Because, you know, there's been a lot of argument in terms of, oh, well, you know, with Star Wars, you can make long-form entertainment with it and make it good. You know, make it something that, through streaming, you can make a TV show that really elongates character development and drama and stakes and whatever. But after this show, I'm starting to think that that's impossible when you have so much filler. And the point I want to get at is the bad writing. The guy who wrote this show, number one, he wasn't the first writer on this show. I, two of the other writers that they previously had, they've already been doing interviews in the last few weeks weeks since the show ended talking about what this was supposed to be and basically showing the fact that what we got was far below the level of what was originally in the can for us but the person who wrote this i i, I really need to give them a a a, 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 a good scream because just to name off some of the credits that uh this person's done in in writing so he wrote the Hayden Christensen film Awake with Jessica Alba, which was definitely not uh, not not not. I'll put it this way. It wasn't a, a box office success. King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Army of the Dead, which was the Zack Snyder uh, Netflix film, the zombie Netflix film and the yet to be unreal yet to be released Transformers 7. Oh, God, this. Screenwriter also had to check with the Star Wars story group on whether or not Obi-Wan knew who Darth Vader was. And there have been a lot of articles coming out suggesting that this person either hasn't seen or did not pay attention to Revenge of the Sith, which I would argue is probably the most important, important piece of Star Wars media to watch prior to beginning this show, because it, it is the movie that precedes it. The, the main gripe that you have is that you have someone not in the know tackling subject matter and is expected to be ingrained in the lore of what makes these characters tick. Not so much ingrained I, in the I, lore. I, well, what, well, what is it? Like, 
do you argue yeah. that if it was someone more encompassed in Star Wars lore, like they'd be able to do a better job? If Dave Filoni did this, the show would have been possibly better. And I say possibly John Favreau, because come on. Well, and here's the thing. Well, I mean, I'm... those are those are two like, of course they do a good job, but that's like. Mm. That's like saying, oh, that classic Mustang on the street looks good. Of course it looks good. It's a classic, you know. So mm. unless you want to just say, hey, John Favreau or Dave Filoni, why don't you just write and direct everything that Star Wars comes out? Mm. Well, then I'm sure in the next five years, you'd get a lot of griping concerns being like, well, why does everything look so similar to The Mandalorian? And we're, we're d-, and you'll get a bunch of politicos out of the woodwork being like, God. Star Wars has gotten way more gritty, and here's why that's a bad thing. You know, it, it doesn't remind us of the cutesy Hayden Christensen, you know, this is where the fun begins and meme moments. Like, like I get it. Mm-hmm. There, there's going to be times where it's just crap. But you do have me there in regards to, like, it not being memorable. Like, in this show especially, like, I couldn't tell you one <clears throat> memorable piece of dialogue excluded from the of course, you know, hello there's and <laughs> and the memes that have already been established for the past 10 years. See, for me, like this is just an, like I think maybe they hired him just because maybe he was cheaper than maybe yeah. some of the other better writers. But again, it's it's that thing where it's like Obi-Wan is established. Star Wars is established. People will watch no matter how good or bad it is. So why does mm-hmm. Disney care how good it is? They made he, their he, money anyway. <laughs> the question of you know well does this need to be good or bad or or you know does it matter if it's good or bad i think the big issue is the fact that a lot of people have received all most of the shows that have come since uh disney plus i even before then went back when star wars rebels was the only disney star wars show and and in my opinion it's still the best everything else though you're relying on stuff that's either brand new or in the case of the book of Boba Fett, which did not get good reviews and I have not seen, so I can't really speak too much on it. You are relying on the name recognition of a, a fan favorite character, which I should note, I believe there was an interview done by somebody you and I know well, uh, Matt, uh, Anthony Bresnikan, and I believe this was in his Vanity Fair article about um, – Kathleen Kennedy saying, you know, oh, we're not going to be over relying on original characters for all future content. And yet you have two shows. Then why why would they why would they entirely focus that on their new shows? They could have had an entire about Galen Mark and I would have been like, oh, wow, Force Unleashed. I recognize that. That's just the only reason I recognize that is because of a fringe two-off video game series. But it would have but still they, been interesting. You, they still wouldn't do that, because that's technically a, a an original George Lucas-created character akin to Ahsoka, who's Dave Filoni's baby, or an Obi-Wan, or a Boba Fett. It, like, basically, they want to just go forward with programming not about any of these characters that you know and love. And yet... They've got a whole bunch of stuff down the pike that's all about characters you know and love. So it's a statement that makes no freaking sense. And it puts you at a lot of risk when you're banking a lot on 
a show about a beloved character like an Obi-Wan that you're thinking to yourself, this is this is a character people have loved for 45 years. Treat it well. And, you know, again, my own opinions on The Mandalorian aside, people have been pretty, Matt, you're one of them, you know, have been pretty well warm and received to The Mandalorian. There's people that are pretty confident in Star Wars TV media. After Obi-Wan, I'm not, just because, again, I think you had, the, part of the reason why I was invested in this show at all was just the fact that this was one of those characters that I thought, you have such rich potential, and it's not connected to J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson or Colin Trevorrow or whoever. So make the, you know, make this a character piece. Make this something memorable. Make it something out of the ordinary and don't just have it end exactly where you had Obi-Wan left off at the end of Revenge of the Sith. And yet that's exactly what they did. So, and, and to the point of dialogue and, and memorability, I was thinking about this before we started recording. The most memorable thing out of the whole show that was both simultaneously the best and one of the worst parts is that final moment between Vader and Ben when, you know, Ben says, you know, I'm sorry, Anakin, for everything. That's the most he has to say. That That's all he's got. That's all he's got to tell to I me. Mean, I mean, I, mean I feel like I feel like all the dialogue was previously exchanged on Mustafar, but that's that's my personal opinion. <laughs> I see. I, here, I mean, I, I, I looked at it. Like, he goes to he, Tatooine. He goes to Tatooine in exile to hide to make sure that Luke is safe. And I, I guess in defense of Obi-Wan as the character himself at that moment, what more is there to say? And to the question brought on before about um, how the how the writer, Joby Harold, was just like, oh, how did he know that, you know, Anakin was Darth Vader and this, that, and the other thing. Keep in mind, that was the last time he actually saw his face as being Anakin Skywalker. Assuming that this is the perspective that he's saying this in, nobody well, no, even knew Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker until he said it in episode five. So, right. Unless but, he's like playing ignorant for the sake of like comedy in regards to writing the show, mm -hmm. um, or if he's looking at through the eyes of Obi Wan himself 10 years later, having not seen a glimpse of Anakin Skywalker, who he probably assumes is dead. Yeah. I'd probably go out and say, yeah, he was probably in his right to write the character that way, as well as him being naturally shocked that, oh, shoot, that's that's who he was behind the mask. Oh, Which, I agree. by the way, Rebels did it first with the whole yes. half mask being charred. I well, thought it was particularly moving to the point where it's like, oh, it's an old friend kind of deal. And... I really don't see how they could have ham-fisted any other dialogue. I mean, what? What was he going to say again? I failed you? Ten years later, I failed you, Anakin? No, I... Like, see, here, my my take on that whole sequence, and, and really, this is where I think the whole show... And I'm not trying to make this whole what-if about what the show should have been, because at the end of the day, and, and this... You're right. It's not It's not our It's not our Star Wars anymore. It, we're... To some degree, we are the audience because we are the ones who grew up with the prequels. In a lot of ways, that's what this show, that's who this show is intended for. This is the prequel fans 
uh, Force Awakens, I think. What I'm thinking is you could have had this show be a long character study of Obi-Wan realizing Anakin's alive, which up until episode two, I thought they were pretty much on target. And then after that, having Obi-Wan reflect on the events of Revenge of the Sith, maybe how he should have handled things better or differently. And I keep going back to this, how the the theory that there's a line in Return of the Jedi that still canonically doesn't necessarily line up with this show or make enough sense, but they kind of answered it, which is that Vader says to Luke when they're having their little discussion in Return of the Jedi about turning Luke to the dark side, and Luke says, come with me. And Vader says, Obi-Wan once thought as you did. When? When did, it, when did Obi-Wan ever think that? And this show, basically the idea like, oh, if there's still good in Vader. And you could right. argue that maybe the show answered that by having Obi-Wan keep referring to Vader as Anakin. That's kind I mean, of he could cloudy. be referring to that moment where, like, Anakin says, or Vader says that I killed Anakin myself and is bragging about it. Which is essentially what he paraphrased at the end of Obi-Wan saying, it's not your fault. I was the one who killed him, not you. Me personally, as a viewer, I didn't expect that level of closure. But me neither. Yeah. If you want, if you want to look at it as Anakin taking responsibility for what he did in mm-hmm. the in the air of oh shoot, my mom's dead, my wife's dead, I don't know where my children are. This is why I went to the dark side. To which case, I, I understand why he did what he did in the prequels, and I know that I'm the odd one out because. I think a lot of people would just, oh no, it's it's the Jedi that you gotta you know turn to. I'll mm-hmm. always be the type to think that that Sith lore is much more interesting. Oh yeah, but that's that's just me. Um, well, and and on that point too, by the way, on the the, I'm I'm not your failure. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. That's the the weird juxtaposition with that scene, which is, I wanted so much more out of what Obi Wan said. And yet everything Vader says in that moment is it's like we're watching the ending of a different show. Obi-Wan hasn't he that's the outcome that Obi-Wan hasn't really earned. Because it's from from if we're looking at it from Vader's perspective, Obi-Wan's the same piece of shit that he's always been since Attack of the Clones. So there's nothing emotionally impactful, at least for me. There's nothing emotionally enough of an, there is not enough of an emotional impact when Obi-Wan hasn't tried to, you know, lure Vader back to the light. He hasn't said any nothing is said about Padme. The the analogy I'm thinking of is and this is something that all three trilogies actually have done well, which is having a moment to just let the characters sit and just hash something out. And the first example we got of that was Luke and Ben talking about the backstory of Anakin Skywalker in Return of the Jedi when a ghost infamously sits on a log. Um, We got that again in Revenge of the Sith with Darth Plagueis the Wise. And then we got that again in The Last Jedi with Luke talking about the hubris of the Jedi and, you know, what that and explaining that to Rey and, and why that's so important for why the Jedi should, you know, the Jedi Order should go away and be extinct. We needed something akin to those moments leading into that final duel 
and we never really got it. So the emotional impact is it's a whimper instead of something that really hits home when at that very end when Obi-Wan says goodbye, Darth, which, you know, it's that's good enough for me. OK, goodbye, Darth. Eh, OK, exactly. I think now you know me, why the transition is is hello, Darth yeah. or, or whatever he says. You're only a master of evil. You, Darth. you can't you can't win, Darth, or whatever. I don't know. It's so old. I think for me, like, I expected just so much more out of, like, the action of the show than we really got. Part of it mm-hmm. is also just, like, the inconsistency of how deadly a lightsaber is. It's like, you tap <laughs> yeah. a stormtrooper when they're wearing armor, which does nothing, by the way, and they just all kind of die. You stab Reva through it, and she just walks it off. Mm-hmm. Fantastic! It's it's like oh you you punched me in the gut. The ninth sister lost an arm in Fallen Order, and she was fine. But it's like well, I mean that's an arm. You're not stabbing someone in the gut. Like you had two characters in the show stabbed in the gut, and magically they're alive. But like you and stab... here's Qui Gon like WTF. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's so inconsistent. It's so the show is so full of plot armor. It's yes. just it, there was no point in watching it. We didn't learn anything new. We didn't get anything out of it. Like the action scenes weren't even interesting. Like you have the whole rock thing in the final episode where, oh, Darth Vader buries Obi-Wan in some rocks and like assumes he's dead. And then Obi-Wan returns Vader Vader and throws rocks at him. And Obi-Wan's like, I will do what I have to do. And it's like you have the opportunity to save the entire galaxy. So much fucking grief right here by just killing a bitch and you don't do it. And now the whole galaxy has to pay for a little bit longer because you're just too much of a you're too stupid to like or plot armored or whatever to like take care of your own mistakes. And it's it's so annoying. And but another Matt, thing, that's not the Jedi way. He's not a Jedi anymore. He cut himself off. He cares the Jedi. about the Jedi way. The Jedi are dead. He said it himself. Their entire just honor as, code is just poof. also aesthetically. I will never get over how Marvel and Star Wars being these gigantic like insane money franchises will have the shakiest shaky cam action sequences like you can't you actually don't know what's going on and they're just shaking the camera the entire time meanwhile you have these indie filmmakers on shoestring budgets who are paying for this stuff themselves who can have the cleanest crispest cinematography where you can see every action every camera rotation movement every like step that the cameraman's making is smooth as all hell and but you have Matt, they can get away with it. they can get away with it with billion dollar budgets don't, don't you know don't, it's all about oh. conveying it's all about conveying the actor's emotion it's not about padding their paychecks no emotion no, you mean seizure that, is seizure an emotion exactly, <laughs> exactly. it's like whenever yeah. someone the, praises disney now i i kind of have to like laugh because it's like what are they actually doing well I will concede that they're doing a lot well on representation. Like, Turning Red was amazing. And I will, mm-hmm. like, be, always be grateful that they kind of told a story that is, like, representative somewhat of my own childhood and my own experiences. And I'll be grateful for that. They are doing representation very well. But everything else is done so piss poorly that, like, I, they're just running off nostalgia at this point. They're not doing anything technically well. Story-wise, in the franchises that they own, it's just, again, as Ryan said, it's morally bankrupt. They're just running through money creatively now. Like, bankrupt. I will, yeah creatively bankrupt 
I think also but they're morally like, bankrupt as well. Oh, the morally part. Um, they're also morally oh, bankrupt. No. As well. Oh no. Oh, did you hear about Disney's stock dropping after Lightyear though? Because of the. Uh... Is it the kiss? <sighs> yeah, among other things too. I mean, you you have a. God, and this is just me like going back however many years. I'm I'm going to get this wrong. As a matter of fact. No, I'm not going to get this wrong because we live in an era of information. I just looked this up on the fly. Um, you remember the Buzz Lightyear movie in like early 2000s? Oh, dude. Yeah, Star oh, Command. Uh, oh, what an age. So you end up having this IP, Toy Story for one. And then you end up making this a, a sub-series with Buzz Lightyear. And then he has his own feature-length animated movie, however long ago. Two decades ago. I think it came out in, like, what, 2000? It, it was... A, 2000. It was a, yeah, it was it around the time Toy Story 2 came out. Okay. Because they were capitalizing the, off, like, the intro of Toy Story 2. Where yeah, it's showing exactly. And then you have Lightyear hit box offices. And you think to yourself, shoot. It's been four movies of Toy Story, and I guarantee you nobody remembers the animated series at this point. It's 22 years old, okay? Who cares if it went on for four seasons? I don't care if you're the most diehard Buzz Lightyear fan. It's a long time. So I think, aside from little to no recollection of who Buzz Lightyear actually is as a person on his own, because if you remember in Toy Story 1, he didn't stand on his own. It was the whole... Uh, fish out of water, new toy, jealousy, character mm-hmm. development, yada, yada, yada. Um, like the whole franchise is built on the premise of these two characters and expanding outwards. So you look at this movie and you think, take away all of the, the societal integration, whether that be gender inclusivity, sexual orientation, what have you. And you look at uh, Buzz Lightyear as a person and you think, damn, I don't know anything about this character outside of the way he looks my personal theory that's why it didn't do too well on a story level now on the other level (laughs) um yeah i've heard a lot of uh politicos basically take the uh the argument of oh we'll go woke get broke kind of thing and they've been comparing it to uh funny enough because we mentioned this in last episode uh, top gun maverick because of the fact that it doesn't and this is their words not mine it doesn't like uh uh like buckle down under like the new like societal norms of like this make a make of that what you will but basically they're making the argument of because it appeals to the audience that top gun maverick appeals to i guess people like me in the military i I don't know that's why it did so well, as opposed to Lightyear not doing so well because of all because of what it, the audience's reception of to what it was. It did uh, well because it has nostalgia. It's an action movie. It's the first right. summer blockbuster. And it has Tom Cruise. Exactly. That's why it did well. That's literally yeah, exactly. it. What else is anyone going to watch right now besides Top Gun? When I looked at that, when I looked at that uh, argument, I was just like, okay, now we're back in it. In in come the. Uh, in come the pundits, and at that point, you know me, I just kind of tune it out from there because uh, it's a movie. These companies, these movies do not care about you. Disney Plus only cares about, uh, what is it, the $7 monthly subscription? Or did they raise it? Do you know, Matt? Um, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. 
<laughs> I think too with with Obi. Me, me personally, I just yeah. me personally, I just didn't watch both movies because I just either didn't find the time for them or didn't find them interesting. That's as point blank as I'll put it. Yeah. And when I started going down the rabbit holes of what one side of the aisle argues over the other about how you know particular media is showcased and what to infer from it, I just start feeling like uh, like garbage. And media isn't made for anyone anymore. So what's the point? You know, you know, you can watch it, sure, but me stepping outside my bubble to argue anything further than that, I just I don't see it as a mm. good use of my time. It's just the the go woke go broke talking. That was point. their argument. Yeah, that was their that, argument. That is like, it's, I, it's I don't so even... ridiculous though, right? Because you, a lot of the time these people are talking about companies that have been quote unquote woke since inception, like Marvel and DC all the time are are just from my personal experience the ones who get this the most. You're talking about Marvel and DC, where Marvel's X-Men was supposed to be like this super inclusive thing that you just people right. don't have the mental capacity to look beyond oh superheroes to like think critically about it. Well, and then you why... have Superman who's supposed to yeah. be the 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 super inclusive for everybody. He's your hero. He's an alien. And like they're like, oh, truth, justice, the American way. That wasn't even part of his original description. They only added mm -hmm. that for the radio show. That was only in the radio show and it was barely ever used. And mm -hmm. now everyone's like, whatever happened to the American? Fuck you. It wasn't even part of him <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> I will say, though, I do understand the argument that people make in regards to Marvel movies. Um, I would say excluding films such as like Deadpool and... Uh, Infinity War, because I, and I've argued this before, Marvel movies meet your expectations in regards of a superhero movie. And that's the main negative attribute about them is the fact that they are looked at as just the average run of the mill good guys beat the bad guys. And it's not to say that I'm one for like enveloping myself in those types of movies because I mean, personally, I just don't find them very interesting. But what I do find interesting are films that exceed my expectations. Um, like I said, when I saw Deadpool for the first time, I just about crap myself laughing and just being blown away at how many liberties they took under Marvel, like as a franchise, as, as they know it. Because you look at something like Wolverine and you think, oh, well, they kind of acted in the means of, of how they acted and it wasn't as gritty as it was and say, oh God, when did Deadpool come out? 2016 or something like that? 15. 15 and then I you believe. end up getting... 15, 16. And then that ends up paving the way for films like Logan and Infinity War where it's like, wow, the good guys actually lose. And I think it just makes more of an impact on this, on this entire IP, which has had millions and millions of dollars sold to the idea of good guys will always win in the end when in reality i don't really think that that should be the case because i think it does leave it does leave the audiences um on their toes so to speak i would put well, it on disney though i think i think that's a, that's you, more you of a disney on, ideology Honestly, right. yeah, because if you look at comic books and films, comic history, those it's films are the, so few and far between now. 
which is yeah. my problem that I have with it. And if you had more films like that, where oh, the pe- the people that you were rooting so heavily for end up failing in their quest, like okay, you see something like Obi Wan, and you think to yourself, well, you you know that Obi Wan and Darth Vader make it to Episode Four, okay? So if you want to look at it as Obi Wan failing his quest to turn his his dear friend back to the to the light, we knew that he failed. In episode four and five, when he realizes, oh, shoot, uh, he's the enemy now, or at the end of episode three. So I think circling back to the point of Obi-Wan of like, you know, there, there was no buildup and it was to fill essentially a vacant time slot in the history of Star Wars, you know, similar to my superhero analogy. It didn't leave us guessing at all. Right. You know, it it played it safe. The only new characters that they introduced, and by new, I mean are established in the lore, but because they were in films one through nine, I'm just going to assume, I'm going to assume that the average Star Wars fan, one that doesn't play the video games, doesn't read the, the literature or the comics, only watches the movies at face value, not even Clone Wars, I'll, I'll take that off the table as well, had no idea who who the Inquisitors were. So these new individuals coming in and establishing themselves as the the Grand Vizier of Evil next to Vader, who, truth be told, I'm surprised they even introduced him as soon as they did. I mean, I knew he was going to show up, but Mm -hmm. I I thought it was just going to be another, uh, you know, Cal Kestis story. Cameo? You don't see him until until the very end, you know? Oh, yeah, like a cameo at the end, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, they did that to Liam Neeson, though. Yeah. Oh, well, they saved him till the way, way end. And at that point, I was just because like, they're saving him for the next show. They're saving him for uh, the the Qui Gon show. The Qui Gon show, yeah. I, the idea that a lot of people have on that finale and those final moments of the finale is, oh, this is them teasing season two. That's still not confirmed. I know that people keep toying. Like people, you know, people directly involved with the production of this keep saying, oh, we might do a season two. We might do a season two. Nothing has been greenlit. And it's not that I hope there isn't a season two. It's just I don't care because I just I won't watch it. Are you sure? Because Book of Boba Fett looked pretty bad and Obi-Wan looked pretty bad from the get go. And... People yeah. still watched it. I mean, I'm just saying it, it's a series that's so deeply ingrained in who you are as a person. I'm not trying to attack any of you guys personally, hey, including yeah. myself, because I'm a Star Wars fan as well. But yeah, I'd like to think that I know how to keep a lid on it, where if it doesn't look interesting, I'm just not going to continue watching it. And that's how it was with Book of Boba Fett. After I think episode three, I'm just like, this is kind of boring. And I don't see myself continuing a show and and correct me if i'm wrong but the way i see it in the groups of people that i hang out with you watch mm-hmm. a show so that you can talk about it yeah that's what i was about peers. to say it's like it's one of those and things I, where you kind of talk about it you, so that you don't seem left behind and you have something to converse and, about and not be left out and, yeah and and when you watch these shows, you almost establish senior uh, seniority in your in your peer group or friend group because it's like you want to be the one who knows what he or she is talking about. And at that point, I think there was just a time in my life where it's like I don't care about being 
that guy who always talks about this in the room because i realized what mm-hmm. this was and this being star wars is so inconsequential in in my yeah. life that it's just like i don't have a direct hand in the directing storyboarding cinematography anything of star wars and i think a lot of people when they get online and they type their little their little manifestos about why star wars should be this that or the other thing i think they go on their podcasts and do it (laughs) but see that is different because i would i would go so far as to say that i'd be the odd one out and just say i'm here explicitly saying why my opinions don't matter why your Mm. opinions really don't matter not not you too but i'm I'm just saying you know when people go up in arms about how one thing should be this way one thing should be that way yeah people don't realize who they are in the grand internet space and it's just i understand my opinions insignificant why can't other people right because everyone wants to be the next film critic Mm -hmm. as a former film critic not going to be (laughs) they're not going to be Unless they actually have a general stake in establishing themselves in the in the directing space. And I know that that's tough. And I know that the internet provides a way to do it free and easily. And in the off chance that someone were to see it, the internet makes it very readily available for anyone to see. And that's that's great. But I think I think people abuse abuse that to a certain point where they think it's their words are the best. I I don't know. I think Star Wars is very inconsequential to be arguing about. Well, part of it is is what I've realized just being in the pop culture space for so long. A lot of people in their escapism attach themselves to certain franchises. Like I have attached myself to DC. Star Wars is one of the the bigger ones that people are like my identity revolves around this franchise and the characters that I've kind of come to know um, and for, for better or for worse that I identify with and I will like fight to the death to have my interpretation be understood, which is why you see so many of these fanboys and incels crawling out of the woodworks whenever something changes that they're unfamiliar with or it doesn't jive with the narrative of the show or the story or the comic book or whatever that they've created in their head, which is why, like, if you take a look at something that recently happened, um, both DC and Marvel have had characters come out as gay who were, people didn't know, realize that they were gay before you had John Kent. Well, with DC, it's two. It's John Kent came out as bisexual and um, Tim Drake came out as bisexual. And then now Marvel has a new Spider-Man. And with the new Spider-Man, like, I just engaged in a debate about this. It's like, why is Marvel creating another a, a gay character? Go woke, go broke. Oh, my God, they've ruined Spider-Man. It's like, okay, there's one Spider-Man. You have so many other Spider-Man. They're not going to stop publishing the other Spider-Man. Why is this so bad? It's like, well, I don't know if maybe they just made it, like, uh, they just shove it in your face. If it was something about the plot, then maybe I understand. Oh, oh no, 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 no. See it right there? Why does someone's sexuality have to be a plot point about who they are? Why can't they just be gay? Right. Gay people just exist. Oh, no, are you trying to make me look homophobic? No, no. One, you're doing that yourself. But two, it's like 
I'm just saying, like, why are you so pressed about it? If you don't like it, read another fucking series, you dipshit. But it's funny, <laughs> why too, are because gay I people just got such done, a threat to you. <laughs> I just got done playing uh, Miles Morales um, on PS4. Yeah. And, Fantastic and I game. think to com- Oh, yeah. But to completely crumble those arguments presented about, like, people acting this, that, and the other way about... Uh, someone's either sexuality or race or gender identification. He's in a suit for 90% of the game. And if it wasn't for his voice, which, by the way, I will say, panic yeah. than anything, i.e. his mother, you would have never known. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, like... that's, and, it's, fun, and it's funny because it's just like, you mentioned escapism. We had a bit of a uh, not not an argument last episode, but um, it was about uh, like celebrity culture, like pop culture in general. And I posed the question to Ryan and Drew about uh, why people involve themselves in celebrity culture via yeah. social media, you know, directly following them. And it it made and, and Drew posed the question of well, what were people doing like 100 years ago when this wasn't a thing? And I answer the question, um, give or take somewhat about how if people can do things that like fulfill them or or allow them to be in a space where it, it's not harming other individuals and it gives them personal happiness like from within, then that's probably what people 100 years ago did. Right. Their escapism was probably a lot more justified, but in my in my ever in my effervescent argument of, of stating that the internet was a mistake i'm kidding uh <laughs> it, it just it allows like this to flourish under the guise of seeing certain types of media a certain way and they act so radical in the sense where they just don't want change in their media but th- these people fail to realize that it's just media. It's just yeah. art. It's just something that you love so dearly that I hate to put it so bluntly, will never love you back. Yeah. Okay. But people don't it want will to believe never... that. Mm-hmm. Well, they better fucking start. But the thing is, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I absolutely I, I get hate... it. People follow the celebrity culture. It's they're looking at that world. They're looking at the world that they will, they know they most likely will never be a part of. They're looking mm-hmm. at the fancy cars, the parties, the success, and that's doing something that will last for generations that people will discuss and critically, as we were doing now, debate and, and talk about. It. It's something that makes an impact on other people's lives. They're looking at that. They're looking at that lifestyle and imagining themselves in that world, and it gives them a sense of of taking themselves out of what their daily miserable humdrum wish we were i was doing something i could have been a contender lives met like i follow (laughs) anya taylor joy on all social media i dream of the day that i would take her out on a date which will never happen but Mm, i can dream and it gives in in that momentary like where, where would we go for dinner it gives me like a little moment of damn in another in another universe Anya Taylor Joy and I are on a date right now, but then and does, then it, does it hurt? 
does it hurt to hold on to that dream so much no. as does it hurt for other people hurt. to hold on to or does it hurt to not let go essentially not i don't I'm not because saying, i think I'm people realize it's never going to yeah. happen they they want to dream about it they want yeah. that that one in a million i could have been i could be a contender if i really tried just give me that one shot boss and i can do it i could have been somebody which is, thank you brando <laughs> But but then that's different. That that kind of pop culture consumption, and and ideology, is very different than I think what people do when they identify with a show or a, mm. or or a character. Because we all know that like these actors and these filmmakers and these celebrities are people in real life, and they are probably putting up a front a lot of the time. We know like, spoiler alert: Will Ferrell's not a nice guy. He's funny on screen, but he's a shithead if you meet him in real life, as opposed as so many different accounts of him have, have been. Like I went to a, a press event one time. He didn't even look at people in press. He just walked straight in. Whereas the other actors right. were like very kind and very generous. Even Mel Gibson of all people stopped and uh, talked to us. Even right. Mel Gibson talked to us, but Will Ferrell couldn't be bothered. And he's and the star of this my film. Main, that is my but, main but, point. And it really lends itself to never meet your heroes because True. what if yeah. you just end up having such a negative experience and it shatters the entire media perception of what you and, have of that like and that's then, partially what happens with the, right. the, the, the the fictional characters is that they're not exactly. real people so you imagine them a certain way in your head that fits with your ideology and you ingrain that in who you are it's like why when you challenge someone's deeply ingrained beliefs no matter when you put facts you present to them they're not going to accept it because by challenging their belief in that you are essentially challenging who they are as a person because they've tied themselves to that belief so closely so when you do this like like going back to like it, it goes with the fandom stuff like putting a black person in star wars putting um making making characters gay like people don't people who who fight against those changes don't see that in their lives so in their minds like star wars is all white in their minds gay people can't be superheroes because then they're not gay so how are they going to identify with this superhero and so right. when you challenge that existence and say that the world is bigger than you these small people who can't comprehend the world outside themselves who don't know how to empathize because they haven't been exposed to it feel threatened and that's what pushes them away from like more inclusive media which is why you get people like they were like people for this Obi-Wan show calling for Moses Ingram to be killed or some shit just because she's black. Mm -hmm. Because people in the in these small little enclaves who oh, the Internet is their only access to that life that they wish they could 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 be part of. That's their only outlet to express their frustrations. And they don't know enough black people maybe to know what black people are like so they have their gut instinct that oh black people can't be like me i can't identify with them rather than just seeing moses ingram as an actor rather than seeing reva as just a tortured person who wants revenge for what anakin did to her and so you have that that disconnect with fandoms that just makes people cringe at what pop culture fandom is in an interesting yeah. way, what you guys... I have are no idea where I was going with that. I was just talking. No, 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 no. And I said this before on the show many, many a time. I will leave this show the day when the answer to the question, when will there be societal harmony in America, can be answered. Um, at that point, we don't have a show anymore. So 
you know. Well, when we bomb it all. Why? When 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 yeah. we launch the nuke on ourselves. That's that's when. Oh, well, I mean, if, if you want to think a little bit more doomer than that, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think just to wrap up my point, personally, I have seen the ways that pop culture evolves. And while I don't identify with those individuals who look at it as like, oh, change is bad. Like Star Wars should be all white, failing to realize that, you know, Lando Calrissian was in episode five, <clears throat> you know. And Mace Windu. And Mace Windu. <laughs> I look at it as pop culture is something that um, I, I know of it in the essence of how I was when I was a lot younger. And similar to how any form of media comes out today, I'll always have a fond recollection of how it was when I was younger. I think TLDR, I think I'm just growing up. And I think I may mm-hmm. have just grown up a little bit too fast to the point where personally I can't bother to really care about certain forms of media anymore. And I I watched this series with my good friend of mine from, from undergrad, and he already had his predetermined opinions about it. And he didn't think that it was all that, but it was something that I needed to watch. And with most shows... I would say I walk away from them after finish watching them, just being like indifferent. Yeah. And knowing that if I happen to have a certain opinion about a show, it's probably already been plastered all, all over some, some website as it is. So whether like the whole point of me watching a show nowadays is simply to watch it, consume a piece of media say that was enjoyable or not enjoyable and then just kind of move on with my day because um i don't know i'm I'm not looking to various outlets to either affirm or reject my already predisposed opinion like it's i don't find that part interesting i like inferring about it i like having conversations like this where i like to believe they are original and fresh Mm -hmm. and in sort of the ignorance of it all of not reading others' opinions about it, it kind of leads more into the conversation of like, well, I read this or I read that. And I don't want to go into a discussion having done that already. I'd rather it be about the opinions that I garnered through watching Obi-Wan rather than right. just feeding it through someone else's perspective, you know, because that that's not interesting to me, you know, saying, oh, well, this person said this and therefore I shape my opinion around it. Okay, yeah, you can have that back up your argument, but you're the one that's presenting the argument. And even then, if you want to have, if you want a grandstand saying you need facts and evidence and a five-page MLA formatted uh, essay with evidence as, as to why this series in particular fits the norms of how society is run, it's Star Wars. Okay, if you put this much, if you put this much effort. The Supreme Court. I'm just, I'm I'm totally kidding. I know people have already been doing that. It's God, I can't even turn on the news nowadays. <laughs> well, Matt, you hit on a perfect point with the word ideology earlier, and I would go a step further. And this is a term that I've heard used regularly now for at least five years regarding all things Star Wars, and that's it's become like a religion. And I think in an age that we're in where 
and, and this kind of I'm not I'm not going to try and totally recycle points I've made in the past, but in a time where everybody is so atomized by life itself, circa 2020, and you know we live in a very secular society, you are going to have people go out of their way and search for something that is like a religion. And you know, there's what I've been reading without really going. Good- Without going to yes. religion itself, you would find something else. Depending on which fandom, it's almost to the point of a religion where you will have... I'm not going to specify, because I can't, because I've sold my soul into being quiet about this. Um, <laughs> but you have certain fandoms where there is the established source material canon. Correct. Where any potential deviation from it, anything that's considered... A deviation is utter blasphemy. Correct, and, and that's is, and that's definitely where the religious element goes. Where with something it, like Obi Wan, to the point where it is a religion. It's not like yeah. a religion. It's a religion in all but name, and the, the fact that they can't influence the government without paying taxes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, it, but it, similar it, and to but the point where you have out. the conventions of people being so fanatical that, and, and again, I. I've met with people involved in the 501st. I they do they do they they do in fact do things that are charitable and noteworthy and respectable, but I think the identification and this is something Seb and I have been talking about for a long time now, especially when it comes to sports and being an Angelino and identifying with teams like the Dodgers for example, the, oh, don't get me the, started, please. But, well, no, <laughs> I only have so much energy. <laughs> it, it, it touches on something that, you know, I'll admit at one point in my life, if you had to identify me, Star Wars was part of that identification. But ever since 2019, since Rise of Skywalker, which really was was kind of the in Star Wars terms, uh, Rise of Skywalker was me getting my arm cut off by Count Dooku. The Obi-Wan series is me getting the rest of my limbs cut off and burnt on a shore side on Mustafar because I'm at this point, I, I, I've just kind of reached a level where and this also touches on what Sebastian, what you said last week, which I think is I think I touched on it earlier. It's really important, too. It's about who these shows are meant for now. And I think the fact that Lucasfilm is so focused on having it be like, OK, the Mandalorian is for people that like the sequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Obi-Wan is like, or Obi-Wan is for everybody who likes the prequels and the original trilogy. Maybe we can get some of the kids interested. But at the same time, you're dealing with different denominations of the same faith. Trying to keep that kind of singularity with all of that material and trying to keep everybody happy it really does reach a point where you're, you know, if you're if you're a fan like me, who I'm already my I was already beginning to lose my religion, if you will, to now at the point where I'm ready to come out and say I'm a Star Wars atheist. Uh, you just you really do just kind of reach a point where why do I need to keep going forward with this? Why do I need to keep feeling let down by this faith that is so focused on purity, yet? it seems like the reception to the purity or at least the reception to what's being produced by the faith is lackluster. And I mean, and again, 
you're talking to somebody who has had a lot of frustration with this show and disappointment more so because again you're dealing with a classic character that people love and yet you're trying to tell a story that people ought to be invested in people ought to go out of their way and be like hey i like a new hope you make an obi-wan show i didn't mind you and mcgregor hated the prequels though i'm sold but the problem just, is that art is interpretation. So even if you right. have that, you you can't necessarily have the strict like this is the canon coming from new people because it's right. not the original that was created. Even if it's now the rights have been passed down and handed down to these new folks, it's not the original. So now you have like the Star Wars Protestants who are yes. like, no, this is my the Calvin, interpretation. The, the Calvinists, yeah. Yeah, no, this is my interpretation of of Star Wars and anything made by these new folks is not going to lead up to it. Like people inherently when they when they attach themselves to a fandom, they attach it to their interpretation and to their identity. It's never going right. to be exactly what it was. Like hell, Jesus Christ himself could walk down the street in middle of, in the Bible belt and as a brown man they wouldn't believe him no matter what miracles he put off. He 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 showed. Like it's never going to be even with like actual established religions with with whatever it is as soon as someone puts their interpretation on it it's not the true faith so exactly and even and even you can't that, please anybody <laughs> that 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 ties in even with some of the characteristics of the show whether it's been um not so much the actual on-screen portrayal of Darth Vader but just what we got in the marketing and then what we got in terms of what came out following Vader's appearance in the show, which is yeah. 99% of the time it wasn't Hayden Christensen in the suit. Um, despite the fact that James Earl Jones is credited, there is it's hard to imagine he sounds that good, given he's six years older than he was in Rogue One. Um, and the fact that they did use the, uh, I forget what it's called, but the rescriptor or revoicer module thing that they used for Luke Skywalker, I think, and Boba Fett. Where, you know, it's basically, oh, here's a, basically we have an, a computer that sounds like the actor reading off this dialogue the way we want it to. And, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, and I get people being grumpy about the purity of Darth Vader. Or, you know, to go another step further, um, the plot holes and, and things like that with the show. Like, you know, obviously there was the whole thing with the Grand Inquisitor that people were hemorrhaging over, which... I don't know why they were from the get-go. And then also the fact that... One of the things with Star Wars... And this is a, a complaint that I, I'm actually passionate about. Because I'm I'm one of those people where scores really do matter in film. Oh, man. Sure there's a ton of people where... <laughs> no, no Imperial March? Are you kidding me? I mean... <laughs> that, was, that was fun. Th that's had, another point where... Right. I'm not here to like discredit your argument by any means, but like, didn't uh, John Williams say that this was going to be his last score? Or... So he, Rise of Skywalker was his last score, but he came okay. out to do the Obi Wan theme. So this is right. technically it's it's his last contribution for Star Wars for now. Although there's also rumors that he, after Indiana Jones Five. Might be going into retirement at last. He's gonna so, pull a Miyazaki. He'll come back later down the line when he gets bored. He's gonna. <laughs> he's, he's America's like, Miyazaki. Like like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. He'll be like, I'm retired. 
Oh, I'm 93. It's, what the hell? It might as well he should have stayed movie. retired. Cry Macho was an abomination. Cry what Macho. I've noticed in watching in watching this with my with my good friend um, is that I realized because he he brought up the score too. He's like, like, did you notice anything? And I'm like, no. Like he was alluding to the fact that it wasn't the original score, and yeah. I didn't pick up on it at first. You know, I just thought, oh, it's. It's music and he's like yeah it sounds like it's some like youtube like, no copyright kind of thing um it's like, like generic game of thrones music like, like like generic game of thrones music i'm like okay it's back to the point of like being tardy to the party where it's just like if you don't pick up on these certain things you end up feeling like an outcast and at that point it's just like okay anytime i watch and this is a, a dear friend of mine but anytime i watch something else mm-hmm about Star Wars with this person, it is going to be in the sake of it's going to be in the sake of comedy. Okay, I am not here to analyze these films for what they are because I have far past outlived my shelf life of being interested in Star Wars in any capacity. Yeah, hence why At this is the last in, one for this show. I promise. <laughs> uh, you promise? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I say that because you know, like, I got a harsh. I got. I'm a not. Criticism. I'm not tired of it tired of yeah. it but if we ever do make star wars episode five on mars on life here i'm just gonna be just put a big fat na where my name's supposed to be because i, well, I can't anymore like with <laughs> no I, I agree with you because believe me like, I, the, I got a harsh criticism the other day from my folks who you know I, they watched the show with me and my mom was like have you seen all of the star wars content that's come out from disney since 2015 and i said no i haven't seen all of it i've seen a good amount but not I, there's i'm not going to watch all of it like she even asked oh did you see the mandalorian i said yeah but that's because i had a girlfriend who wanted me to watch it and i haven't finished it and i don't think i will and you know what she said what my mom said to me was oh you, you'll you'll just you'll watch it because it's it's like it's like watching a train wreck you know it's going to be a disaster but you can't help but watch it just chug its way until it finally goes off the track and the reality of it is with obi-wan i had no clue it was going to be disappointing i had no clue at all because again I, you know and this is what i said earlier that the writing I, nobody knew really what the story was going to be outside of oh obi-wan has to go on a mission that takes him off uh off of tattooing okay i'm sold i already know there's legends books that talk about that that were actually not so bad i having read them fine i'm open to it but i couldn't have known how frustrating actually i'll, I'll, I'll retract that how disappointing the show could be to the point where i'm like i just simply am not interested now anymore and you know uh matt you brought up taika, uh, taika watiti earlier i'm sorry you know what? I got a few laughs out of um, his character from Thor 3. But I, I, there's nothing about the guy that really interests me. I know I have other friends that like him. But personally, hearing that he's directing a Star Wars movie couldn't have turned me off more. And especially now after Obi-Wan, I'm just I, I'm kind of like, you know what sounds really good right about now? David Lynch movies, because David Lynch sounds like an interesting guy I need to get into. Like it, it's, 
I'm I'm tired of the disappointment. I'm tired of feeling like this is a property now that I think has been in the wrong hands for a long time. And I have to give George Lucas George Lucas more credit than I think I've ever given him in that he told his story. He completed his journey, more or less. Yes, I think he made a grave mistake in selling Lucasfilm. But you know what? After watching this show, if you had to put a gun to my head and say, Ryan, you have two choices or you have you have one choice to make rewatch Obi-Wan or rewatch Revenge of the Sith. Ten out of ten, I'd rather see Revenge of the Sith. Like I can actually get more enjoyment and arguably more story out of that than watching Shaky Cam Kenobi. Everything you said, Sebastian, was perfect about the music. It, I mean, I understand that maybe it's like a rights issue, but I'm also thinking, wait a minute, Lucasfilm, this is your music. This is your stock music. You use it for the trailers. All your video games use this music. Like the video games, this is also part of why I, I now have a, more of an appreciation for Revenge of the Sith. The music in that film is so memorable and it sticks with you so much to the point where almost every single Star Wars video game since the Force uh, Force Unleashed all the way up until Jedi Fallen Order uses music from that film because of its emotional impact, because it's memorable. Why this series couldn't even bother with the Imperial March until the last 20 minutes, I, you know, I really don't understand. And I will say, too, the first fight, and we never really talked about this before because last time we talked about Obi-Wan, it was just the first two episodes. And obviously this episode, given we're, we're nearing completion, isn't going to we're not going to go into every nitpick with the show other than I will say episode four trash um, and episode six. I don't know why you needed Reva going to Tatooine at all. Why? Why, why did she know you to go after the boy? She didn't know that was Luke's uh, Vader's kid boy. Like what? Why? Why does she need to go after Luke? Why do we need that? Why does because that happen? Boy. I don't know. I, I'll say this too, and this will be. I'll make this very quick, a very quick point. But some of the things that I did like with the show, I didn't mind the fine, the cameos in the finale. Um, honestly, I, I looked at Qui Gon appearing and thinking, "Oh my God, finally something Star Wars that hasn't been dragged through the mud." I was very relieved that the order. Going back to our previous discussion, Matt, I was very relieved that the Order sixty six stuff was brought back up again although the reaction to the reaction of uh viewers not being kosher with that opening right on the heels of the uvalde shooting meaning we got two more episodes with warnings about you know sensitive material involving children it's it's interesting how lucasfilm now will go will just go ahead and show children being murdered whereas george lucas is like you know, for once in his life, he showed and didn't tell. I, I I don't know. There's still a part of me that's perplexed. But again, I'm pleased that Order 66 made it back into the story and actually had a point outside of, again, showing us something pretty dark and a really dark point in American history, coincidentally. And Seb, you mentioned it earlier about the the, the mask and, you know, Rebels did it better. 
Rebels absolutely did it better. The one thing I can kind of get behind is the idea that they were trying to go for some level of George Lucasy poetry in that Ahsoka took off the right side, Obi-Wan took off the left side, but it was only Luke who could take off the whole mask. I think you analyzed that a little too strongly, Ryan. I honestly yeah, that was and, and at this point that I was like, <laughs> okay, maybe that's okay. See, at, at that point, when you go that deep into the rabbit hole, you know, it further justifies my argument when people say, Seb, let people enjoy things, and I just hit them with a resounding no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I honestly, that, believe me, I have my frustrations with that logic. I, not what you just said, but the logic of that, of having. Oh, no, I know that there's no logic in what I said. It's just unabashed hate at that point, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, anyway, yeah, like. <laughs> Overall, I think again, it, it's being tired of that disappointment and just thinking, you know what? Creatively, there were more ways they could have gone with it. And you know what? The same could be said about the prequels, but you know what? It was still George Lucas's vision, at least. So I give those movies a little more credit. But uh, very quickly, um, favorite episode. Did you guys have a favorite of the six? The final one. Probably the last and, and, and one. And I'll give you and I'll give you uh, my mm -hmm. my entire thesis as to why. Um, yeah. It was cool. <laughs> fair, fair. I did and, like and, that. And, that and duel I'm, was fun. Gonna, I'm gonna need a, a, a full-on Chicago-style annotation on this. <laughs> no, no, because fair. Us, <laughs> Disney Plus, or in other cases, who just mooch off of uh, other people's. Um, sorry, Heather. Yeah, I'm using her Disney Plus. Um, no, because that's. I thought it looked cool, and as someone who's not even the target demographic for it anyway, and as someone who's just looking in, as someone who was once that person who looked at the original trilogy and looked at the prequels, and unfortunately looked at the sequels and thought, "Wow." from flashy lightsabers and bullets go boom the movie <laughs> okay yeah i had the lego minifigures i had the action figures i knew who darth vader was in relation to obi-wan just as much as i knew who obi-wan was in relationship to luke and the triangle persists there but nowadays out of how many episodes were there? Six. Six easily stood on its own as being the best episode in the entire show. Um, I will not okay. be delving further because uh, I, what's what's there to say? It, it it had it had cool. I don't know. It tickled the part of my brain that just. No, I'm kidding. I can't keep up this charade. Uh, <laughs> I was really gutted. <laughs> What this show, what Andor appears like it's about to do, and what The Mandalorian feels like for me is, and of course, at the end of the day, all of Star Wars now is fan fiction because George Lucas is miles away swimming in his money. But the fact that it feels so I much hate like that fan imagery. fiction. I hate the imagery of George Lucas swimming in money. I, oh, Matt, oh, I, I, I got to. I'm swimming like I'm going to see the Gungans. Oh, it's it's there's so much 
I've never, I didn't know there was so much green in the galaxy. Oh, so much. I, I, oh my um, God. But, you're making me have an aneurysm. You're, you're about but, to be with only one co-host again. I hope you know. <laughs> okay, I still got I'm about to go away and never <laughs> come back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, I, I, you know, and, and I will pinpoint to one scene that looked incredibly fan filmy, which is the first duel between Vader and Obi-Wan. I thought I was watching a YouTube video. <laughs> like, so and with bad. the music, it was so awful. Just, I mean, don't get me wrong. Vader's dialogue in that scene, amazing. Like, great Vaderisms throughout this entire show. But that scene alone, I'm like, I'm watching Star Wars Theory's Darth Vader video, which, not going to lie, isn't that, but is, is pretty decent. Um, anyway, Matt, your favorite episode. I liked episode six because there were lightsabers that go woo woo and they remembered that the force exists. So that was um, that was it for me. That was why I liked that episode because there you go, lightsabers and there you go and, and, and rock go fly fly because they remember force exists. Um, exactly. But there See, was Ryan, that. Um, this could have been this could have been condensed into a 20 minute episode. Although well, I will say, CLB one, yeah, no. What was your favorite? Rock fly. Oh, okay. <laughs> could have resorted to caveman speak, and people would have got it. I will say that for me, it was something I realized watching Obi Wan and watching the Clone Wars for the first time. That for me, at least, Anakin in the Clone Wars is a very different Anakin than Hayden Christensen. Oh yeah. to the fact that they are two separate characters and that's another just question about like the authenticity of lore and and, and canon and and whatnot it's like these two pieces of exalted canon are just so inconsistent with each other that i just i don't take me as as someone who like hates the nolan batman trilogy because it is so against batman canon oh my lanta I, I do not I, I am starting to break away from that that rigid canonical devotion because it's just it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, there's so many interpretations that as long as you get certain aspects correct, it is a valid interpretation, which I will say Christopher Nolan did not and would not have done if he had not had people watching his back. So I still do not like I, I like the Nolan movies because they are they look good but not because they are good Batman. And this is coming from someone whose favorite movie is Memento, which I watched last night and told Ooh. my sister to write up a, a paper on for her, her college class. But another thing Ooh. that I did want to bring up is like, this was originally supposed to be three movies, but was derailed by the abomination that was solo. Like, would you guys think that, I mean, this is all hypothetical conjecture, but would you have appreciated the movie? Not the movie. Would you have appreciated Obi-Wan more had they went the three movie route as opposed to the six episode route. The idea of long format Star Wars series, I just, as much as there's potential there, I have yet to see a show outside of Rebels under this current regime of Disney, or excuse me, of Lucasfilm that can pull that off. So I think a trilogy actually would have been to the benefit of Obi-Wan. Just because it would it may it cuts everything down. There's no filler. Everything's succinct, and 
you still open yourself up to having a character study on the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, which for at least five of the episodes, arguably one and a, or four and a half, we didn't get. To I guess to kind of conclude on that, uh, my favorite out of the bunch, probably not to not to be uh, contrarian uh, with you guys. My my favorite probably was episode five, and the reason for that was I think that was the episode that gave us the most of. I guess what I expected from the show, because I think having the back and forth of Vader and Ben reminiscing on the same memory in the Jedi counts uh, in the Jedi temple. I like that juxtaposition solely for the fact that that's a reflection on their relationship that leads into why Obi-Wan is still the better man of the two why Vader will always lose. And it also totally dovetails into the line from A New Hope, where Vader says, you know, when I left you, I was but the learner, but now I am the master. Even though, you know, minus the duel at the end of the show, which, again, had fun with it, enjoyed it, loved Vader's dialogue in that scene, liked how Obi-Wan kind of stumped him so he could get away. Um, but there was something to, there was something, there plot was something, plot hole. Yeah, there was something, you can, you, give well, finish, that, Ryan, and then I'll plot hold it. Yeah. Uh, there was something to that moment of basically a- addressing the fact that as long as Anakin and or Vader continues to be so focused on winning, hashtag winning Charlie Sheen, uh, <laughs> that, uh, He's always going to be the student. He's always going to be the learner, the Padawan. And that's the kind of thing that I wish the show was more uh, more about and more of. I didn't like the fact that most of that episode felt like the ending of Last Jedi. But, it, it, again, it, it's I still had fun with it, and I still enjoyed the fact that it gave the path, if you will. It gave the path some kind of opportunity to escape. And for Vader to be thwarted one more time by Obi-Wan and and also the great shot of him pulling the ship down, tearing it apart only for it to be another ship. Honestly, that was very Empire. But he doesn't just grab the other ship. He could have just grabbed the other ship. Hey, man, remember, remember in A New Hope? Remember in A New Hope when the Millennium Falcon showed up? Did Vader like use his 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 uh, spidey senses to blow Han Solo out of the sky? No, he turns the corner and goes, what? Plot you know. armor. And so are I... We really, are we really splitting hairs about this? Yes. Like, <laughs> I, hate, very, very... I, hate to, I hate to jump in this kangaroo court that we've established here, but like... Uh, really? <laughs> oh, it's, it's a show. Know. It's a show yeah. that I've concluded does not, does not um, pander to me anymore. Okay, and I hate to jump in with my rebuttal. It, it isn't even a rebuttal. It's just like a maybe I just see it differently than you two. Like plot armor, this or MacGuffin that, akin to Sorcerer's Stone days. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I I think I'm just kind of burned out. I'm as burned as Anakin was in three, <laughs> yeah. minus the limbs. 
being unlimbed. Now, Matt, you had a quick point you were going to mention. That was it. It was the plot armor of that moment. Literally, it's like, oh, I grabbed the wrong ship here. Let me just grab the other one. It's like, oh, oh, well, I lost my chance. Go fly away now. Or imagine this. Draw your own conclusions. Yeah. And whenever you think about taking that next step into the ether, into that larger world, and 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 posting that opinion online just just think to yourself what if i what if i didn't do that and just held faith in my own beliefs and didn't seek the binary for validation then my friend is truly dead <laughs> it's been fun <laughs> it really has <laughs> Uh, that'd be a good final note. <laughs> You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life Show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Erberich, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. If you keep going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>